0: Um, we're here tonight um, really to honor Harry Kemp, a longtime photographer in our community who um, really uh, made the pages of the Milwaukee Community Journal sing. How many people here knew Harry Kemp by a show of hands? Yeah, he was was fantastic. So I'm gonna have Pat Robertson come up and talk about Harry Kemp and his reflections of him. He's a freelance photographer and photojournalist. Please come
1: back. Thank you you so much. Just a few minutes here and I'll be done with my... uh... Candy? Okay. All right, my uh, reflection on Harry Kemp Um, I remember Harry uh, in the neighborhood photographing events. Um, I think he was my role model when I was in high school, though I didn't meet Harry until after 1982. Can you hear me okay now? Sorry about that. So um, Harry would be out and about I would see him at events. Sometimes he would get there before I would. Sometimes uh, he would be shooting for one one publication, I'd be shooting for the other. Um, I think my strongest memories of Harry was when I would be on my way to an assignment, I was driving a car, and I'm driving down the street trying to get to my job, and then stopped at the bike, I looked to the right, and there's Harry. Guess what? He's waiting on the bus. Harry took the bus everywhere. So, of course, I gave him a ride. Sometimes we'd be going to the same assignment. Sometimes I would have to drop him off on this side of town. I'd go to my side of town, do our jobs. Um, I think that was, that. those were my strongest memories of Harry because while he was my role model before my time, I'd say like before 1982, Harry was actually already shooting for the newspapers in the 70s, 60s, and I believe, and started in the 50s. Okay, I see his family nodding, so I must be right. Um, so I started shooting for the Milwaukee Carrier in about 1982, after I did a stint in the Navy. I was a Navy photographer, so I continued my aspirations of being a photographer. And Harry was the person that I would always look up to because he was somebody like me. Um, ooh, boy. He was a veteran. He was in the Air Force in the honorably discharged in 1955. Uh, his mother was actually my schoolteacher, which really surprised me. Marie Gaines, is that right, Marie? Okay. Oh, memory. Um, At the last event that was held here for Harry back in 2011, I remember uh, another photographer friend um, who went by the name of Sir machiavelli and he made a comment about that we, Milwaukee, lost our own Gordon Parks. I don't know what else to say about Harry other than that he photographed everything and everybody pretty much in the city. And it was at just about every event. Festivals, weddings, you name it. If it was in the community, he would be there. So I don't want to say that I'm kind of following in his his footsteps, but he was the person that I followed behind. and the rest of my pages are blank, so I believe that's all I'm supposed to say. (laughs) Thank you.
0: I would like for his family to stand up. Uh, Here he comes, family. Uh, Please give them a hand. Thank you for coming out. I could share my own personal experiences about Harry Kemp. You, you're right, he took the bus everywhere. And I've never seen this man without his camera, either like on his hip or behind the, behind the lens taking a, taking, a, taking a shot. One thing I could say about Harry Kemp that, um, that's special to me, he reflected our vision. He showed us in, po- in a positive light. And you don't always get that. Um, I, I still remember some of some of the pictures that he, that he took of us. He always tried to show us in, on a, in a positive light, and that's, that's a beautiful thing to see, and that's uh, greatly missed. So I just want to say that. Um, so we're going to move on with the program. Um, so I want to tell you um, why I'm here tonight, other than to MC. <laughs> I'm here to tell you about the relationship between a reporter and a photographer and how that relationship has changed over time. So let me take you way back to how newspapers used to look. Newspapers were mostly a lot of print. They were black and white. And you really didn't see a lot of photography in newspapers. It was really just the written word was the thing that got to people. But over time, we realized that photos mean a lot. Um, You have to have that balance. And so, if you think about how uh, newspapers have changed, they've gone—they've they've changed completely. You know, now we have online, so you, you know everything is really driven by photos and videos. But um, as a child, and when I used to look in the paper, I always wanted to see people that looked like me in the paper. I wanted to see people of color. And when I. When I would see people of color in the paper, it it would just make me smile, especially if it was a positive photo, but you know how that gets sometimes. So um, having uh, people of color behind the lens is very important and that's why we're here tonight, to really uh, honor people who uh, have that vision in mind and, and really try to show us and show all of us. So as I talk about the relationship between a photographer and a reporter, I could, I could say this that um, you know as as I matured as a journalist, I realized that that relationship is more important today than it's ever been. Uh, I've worked a lot with Angela Peterson, who will be speaking tonight, and I can tell you that some of the projects that we worked on, she really helped my my story sing. Uh, we worked on this a project called Cultivating a Community, where we looked at uh, Andre Lee Ellis' garden on Ninth and Ring, and the time and care that she took by taking photos of some of the young people in the garden, of Andre, and the work that he was doing in the garden, really made that project the project. And I want to thank Angela for that. But we also worked on other projects as well. We actually went to, we worked on this project called a 50-year aid, where we looked back at the marches that took place back in 1967 and 68, the 200 nights of marches that took place here in the city. And we came across this photo, this little girl, this little black girl who was holding the hand of Father Grappi. Her head was tilted down, and you couldn't see Father Grappi, but you could see his hand holding her hand. And she was supposed to deliver a speech that night, Um, but she never got a chance to deliver her speech because they went out on a march. But that, that photo was so powerful. So as part of my 50 Year 8 project, I wanted to find this little girl to find out who she was and what happened to her. I found this, this woman in Washington, D.C. And when I talked with my editors about it, they said, well, you gotta go interview her. You gotta go talk to her. She never got a chance to deliver a speech. Find out what she's doing today. I talked to Angela and I said, okay, we, I found this, this lady, let's go talk to her. We get on the plane, we, I talk to the lady on the phone, she said, yeah, come on down there, interview me. We get down to DC, and when we get there, she said, yeah, I'll do the interview, but I don't wanna be photographed, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I was like, no, you're gonna be photographed. She was like, I really don't wanna be photographed. I, you know, Just interview me, because I gotta go to work tonight. Anyway, I put Angela on her. <laughs> And Angela convinced her in a very sweet, kind way that you need to be photographed. And it was the best experience for not only me, but for the um, woman as well. She got a chance to do her speech because Angela also uh, got video of her. But the care and time that Angela spent with this lady in the park is unbelievable. Uh, the way she, she, she took hundreds of pictures that day. And just to get the right photos, it just really made everything come together. So again, that's the care and time that goes together because I thought the story was good, but the photos with the story made it excellent. So um, one thing that photos show, um, they show grief, horror, sorrow, happiness. I mean, just think about some of the great photos that you've seen over time, you know? What comes to mind for me, um, after Martin Luther King Jr. was shot, you remember everybody pointing at the shooter. Those pictures are iconic. You'll never forget that. When Mrs. King was fighting back the tears at her husband's funeral, and the photographer captured that photo, you'll never forget that. Emmett Till at the funeral. Those are pictures you will never, ever forget. You know, Barack Obama, when he became president of the United States. Jesse Jackson fighting back the tears. Remember those photos? That's how special photography is. So we're here tonight to talk about that. And we're here tonight to talk about the photographers behind the lens and what they do. So, first I want to introduce Angela Peterson, or read her bio, but I sort of gave some of it away. Angela Peterson has been a photo editor, photojournalist, and video um, photographer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel since 2003. She was a photo editor for the 2011 Pulitzer Prize story, One in a Billion DNA series. She is currently working on unsolved homicides that examines the heartache of families affected by gun violence. Her other projects have included lost lessons, a student turnover rate at, in Milwaukee nationwide, cultivating a community that I mentioned, which is a neighborhood garden program dedicated to turning young boys into men, and a 50-year ache uh, series that she also worked on with me. on how, Milwaukee is, how far Milwaukee or how... Milwaukee didn't really come too far since 1967, but what has happened since the 1967 civil rights marches. Before coming to Milwaukee, she worked in Orlando, at the Orlando Sentinel in Florida. Yes, she came from Florida to Milwaukee. And as a photographer and photo editor there, she, her emphasis was on minority visual reporting. Her other interests, which is, some of you may get to know, is she's a health vet. So You are a health nut. She, she runs a boot camp and all those other things, and those are uh, kind of things that make her really special. But what I love most about Angela is that she really has an eye for really capturing great photos. So let's give her a hand.
2: I'm a fitness enthusiast, okay, how about that? Thank you all so much for um, for coming, and I'm so appreciative that you've taken the time to do this. Um, first, I have to say that I really love what I do. I really do. And I mean, It's like any other job, there are days when they're not good days and days when they're bad days or whatever, but I really enjoy taking pictures. And I don't think I really realized that um, until I was, when I had to go back out on the street. When I first came to Milwaukee, I came as a photo editor. So I spent the first six or seven years inside the building. I had no connection, no tie to the community. Um, and then our industry changed. We started downsizing. And I was asked that I need to go back out on the street and start taking pictures again. I was like, well, I think I can remember that. But believe it or not, it was one of those things that I had sort of pushed aside. I wasn't using that muscle memory. So I really had to relearn again about looking at pictures and capturing moments and things like that. I mean, I was I was good with critiquing and editing, but I had sort of put all that stuff aside for a while. And, um, and I was a little bit, um, I really didn't wanna do major projects and things like that because I wanted them to still be the photographers on the staff to do that. I didn't feel that I should be taking those stories away from them. And again, our industry started to decrease again. So more was called upon me to do, um, I'm um, at the paper. And the last couple of years have just been wonderful. Um, one of the things I love doing is people watching, like I'm watching, you watching me right now, okay? <laughs> I love people watching. And, um, and not just because my pastor just walked in, I was gonna tell this story anyway. Um, I was sitting in service uh, about a month ago, and at the end of the service, he comes down the middle of the aisle to, um, to greet and just sort of say goodbye to the parishioners and things like that. And he's coming down the aisle wearing a black robe, a Bible in one hand, and he's halfway down. And this little girl about three or four years old, she comes out of one of the pews and she's running towards him and he's sort of run- walking towards her. And he kneels down on one knee, grabs her and her arms are wide open and with this big smile. And I'm thinking, wow, what a beautiful moment and I was so touched by it. And then I got angry because I didn't have my camera. I mean, it was like this perfect moment that's forever embedded in my memory. And he's been asking me for the longest, you know, when are you gonna take pictures of the church? When are you gonna take pictures of the church? Well, I may have just put myself on the spot just now. Um, But as a photojournalist, I mean, what we do is we tell stories through pictures. And I believe you need three elements or components to do that. You need um, human emotion, which we can all relate to composition, how you frame a subject, and lighting. James, could you do me a favor? Yes. Okay. Grab the Shannon picture there for me, the one right in the center there, next to the um, visual, that one there, and just bring it a little bit closer to that one there. Yeah. Um, So when we talk about human emotion and and setting a picture and whatnot, this particular picture here, I really didn't even know that I had the moment until I got back to the office, literally. Because that same day, Ashley Lutheran, Ashley, raise your hand. Ashley, <laughs> I had spent the day with Shannon Allen who lost her son to gun violence. And it's an unsolved case. So we'd spent the day with her at her apartment and, you know, she was a mother sharing a story about what happened, the loss of her son, and just crying and tears and things like that. And then we went to the cemetery and we also went to um, the scene where her son was killed. But in the middle of all of that, we went to the cemetery and it seemed as if that was the one place where she was the most happy, at the cemetery with her son, um, his grave there. She got there, she sort of stroked the, um, the tombstone and for one moment, and I had, a, I had a tripod on the stand videotaping as well too, right? So I had, I had um, one moment, she sort of looks up towards the sky and I'm thinking, and she's. I think she even said that, you know, we'll be together soon. And I shot the picture, not knowing that I had it, but when I got back, I got back and I showed it to Ashley and she came over and she didn't say anything, she just gave me a hug. So we're looking at this picture as if I had nothing to do with it, right? I mean, this is how I can appreciate what it is that I do. Um, I thank God for the vision to have the opportunity to see these images because just when I think that I've gotten the best picture ever in my career, you know he opens up another window opportunity for me to see something else when we talk about composition James since you're at the end there could you grab the one of the two little girls there please right there okay we talked about composition this was part of the lost lessons um school mobility piece that i worked on with Erin Richards and raise your hand right for about a whole year and um we spent a year with two families primarily as we watch their kids, you know, go from school to school. And we just talked about the issues and the struggles if, if there's a lot of transient um, things are happening in families and things like that. And this was from the Sykes kids. And I shot pictures of just the two little girls. I shot them wide. Um, I think this was from a 6 a.m. or 6.30 in the morning photo shoot, basically. But um, what happened was that I looked at them and I saw these two little girls just sort of playing on the floor. Now, I love this picture, um, I really, really do. But photography is very subjective. You know, what one person sees, another person might not see or appreciate. And unbeknownst um, to me, when her mother saw the picture, she absolutely hated the picture. And I couldn't understand that. And. The only thing that I saw was the love between these two little girls. But those aren't my children, okay? She talked about, you know, their hair's not combed and they look like they were dirty. The only thing that I saw was love. All I saw was love. And to the point where it offended her so much that um, I had to promise her that we would not publish the picture in print because I did not want to offend her, you know what I mean?
1: So she saw it
2: because we did a, a, a piece where we sort of promote, this was part of a, a series of pictures that was on exhibit last summer. So it was online, and she saw it then. And um, I, I could not bring myself to publishing the picture if the mother was so offended by it. Um, but again, photography is so, so very subjective. So you have, when you're looking, at, looking for great pictures, you're looking for human emotion, you're looking for composition, and you're also looking for lighting. Grab the one James with the candlelight vigil for me, please. Um, what makes this picture work is that it's not a whole lot of light that's happening there. It's just being, um, the, her face is just being lit by basically available light in the room and that one candle. Um, it's one of those moments where I saw it and I kept trying to get the right angle and everything. And I think this was candlelight vigil for the end of the year of uh, those folks who had um, been killed and homicides, basically. Right, exactly, it was one of, it was one of those. So um, I have the opportunity to um, spend a lot of time just sort of watching people. And I think as a photographer, um, you want to make sure that you're not part of the scene. You want your pictures to look as if um, you weren't even there. And just recently, Ashley and I were working, again, still on a homicide case there, like three weeks ago, just when I thought that the Shannon picture was my best picture ever, we go out to um, Garden Homes Community, okay? And, um, James, where's James? Okay, I need to back it up. <laughs> so, um, we, were, we spent some time at this cookout that was sponsored by the um, 414, the one of the, um, the hugging picture there, that one there, hugging. That one, yes. we spent some time um, with the 4 one life violence interrupters. Chris
0: Hanley and, and uh, Reggie Moore. Yes,
2: and the woman that they're embracing is actually Bernice Parks. Parks, Parks, exactly, Parks. And she's actually the mother of a 13-year-old who was killed by a straight woman back in November, I believe. And on this particular day, Um, She had just found out that she had been approved for an apartment in West Dallas to get out of the neighborhood that she was in. And the emotion of all of that was that she was overcome because she wanted to be able to share the experience with her daughter. So just when I think that I'm done taking really good pictures, that window opens up again, you know. And I'm just so, so very fortunate that I have the opportunity to tell those stories and to bring human emotion to it. And I think that's how you can appreciate this. James, I need you back again. Thanks. <laughs> One of the other ones that I like to do, um, I like to talk about is that, um, let's get the garden picture here. Now, as a photographer, we have stories about everything now. you want to have other photographers yes, too? Sir. Yes, please. Oh, yeah, yeah. classic. Yeah, so this was from the garden piece here, and- in the community. Thank you, garden, thank you, thank you James, okay. And what they do is not only are they teaching the young young boys how to become gardeners and appreciate their community and whatnot, but they have these breakout sessions where they talk about life's experiences, they talk about their goals, their hopes, their dreams, and this one particular boy who's standing up there, he's talking about the gun violence in his neighborhood and I believe that same day he talked about how he and his mother had hidden in their basement because someone had broken into their house. Ironically enough, there's a, a picture of a gun-free zone or something on the door, I believe, or whatever. It's just sort of ironic. But it's one of those things where it isn't sometimes just enough to get, like, that moment, that face, that smile, that tear. You, know, you want to look at the other elements, too, to help to tell that story, to bring it to life. And, um, Sure not only did they run up in the house, him and his mother hid under dirty clothes to keep from being killed that night. He saw
3: it, he actually saw a suspect So the problem was that him. And it happened all about time, so that was the father that it was the, was the, was the, was the, was the so,
2: You know, and there was there was several breakout groups too, but fortunately, I was I had an opportunity to be in this particular one here, where he was just sharing so profoundly about just his day to day life. One of the things when Ash and I were at the garden homes um, cookout there, I was standing there taking all these, these beautiful pictures and the light the is light just gorgeous. about six, between six and seven in the evening when it's just this sort of amber color. And I think every five minutes, a fire engine, a, a police car, all these, um, first responders kept going by, back and forth, back and forth. And their kids out playing and everything, and they're thinking nothing of it. It's just part of their day to day. You know, it's just sort of background noise for them. But I was sort of startled by that. Um, yeah, I was just sort of startled by that. But when I showed my, um, my other supervisor the picture of the hugging picture, he said, you know what? And I don't think it was, he meant to give me a compliment, but he did. He said, you know, this picture shows there's love in all communities. And that's what I think I try to bring. Um, I try to bring love and compassion into the work um, that, I, that I'm able to photograph. Um, it's important that we see various elements of ourselves and whatnot. And I just enjoy what I do. I mean, I really, really enjoy what I do. And I've had a great time working on these projects with these wonderful reporters who allow me to become partners with them. Not just, I'm not your photographer, you're not my reporter. You know, we partner together to make this package really work. Um, I think that's about all that I have to say. And we're going to leave some time at the end if you have any questions and things like that. But um, I think that's about it. Oh, my Obama piece, I'm sorry. Okay, I got to talk about this. Okay, all right, all right. Um, Last thing here, okay. Um, So I really wanted, when when Barack Obama became president, I was editing at the time. I wasn't taking pictures, um, but I had an opportunity over the course of the years and everything to go back out on the street, and I really didn't want my photojournalist career to end without. Having So we start running. So we go inside uh, the store, and everything. And I'm the last one to come out. And all the photographers are lined up already for him to come out of the, uh, the store. And I'm like, "This is my town. So I'm gonna get into space. I need to get into a for a position, and everything." So in the midst of my getting into position, I accidentally hit another photographer with one of my camera bodies by accident. Imagine the amazing will. I was in a slow motion with all oh my equipment, and I ever looked like this, right? So we get to this round, and she took steps to me. She was like, you know what you were doing. I was kind of looked so sorry, I didn't mean to. Um, and, but then she, she wouldn't shut up. About what
0: it is that you have to do. Thank you very much. I'm going to have Claymore Vincent come up. He wants to say a few words.
3: person who really sees, Angela really exhibits that in terms of her abilities uh, as a camera person. She's in that group, and I was in that group too, and I saw that in my colleagues. And many of them, the majority of them were like, and They were very good. I can remember the day that Mr. Miller. i you running all throughout his pictures. You know, something else I saw in this moment's work. He made people, especially black people, with dignity. <coughs> a woman sitting on that bus was not shamefaced. She stood up, and his picture gave her a sense of respect. And the you were watching that picture, uh, and know, I was really impressed with that. I saw some civil rights stuff. That Mr. Millerton had shot. And I saw a, a glitch, a light, in every person in that photograph popped out at me. He took his time, and it was a black and white picture. It really was a good quality. So when I thought about the idea of having a day of photography, uh, he shot pictures of families uh, with love. You can feel that love in um, I, I, I really thought it was the most important to be here uh, to share his quality of work. And because I'm pretty old, I remember those times when, in the 1960s, when that kind of work was really popular, uh, when people did that in the 60s and the 70s. Industrial photographer, because I wanted to jump the boat from being a news person to be an uh, industrial photographer. I couldn't, I wasn't good enough. I really liked his work and I wanted him to come and share it out. And I'm going to ask him to come. Uh, and I, I, I want Mr. Miller to get talk a while, so we don't want Mr. Miller to get carried away. <laughs> we don't want him to get carried away. His real topic will be a with questions and answers, and he'll, be, and he'll take a look at some of his work uh, back there. He really does a good job, as well as Angela's work. so
0: Thank you very much, Ms. Middleton. Yeah. I was going to read his bio, but.
4: Go <laughs> ahead, I'll
0: read the bio because um, James Middleton is a renowned award winning fine arts and street photographer based right here in Milwaukee. His main emphasis is black and white photos because uh, he uh, feels that they're stronger and define the purity of the shot with simplicity and strong image. James developed his passion for photography as a youth in Beaver Dam. And during high school, he was a photographer, stringer for the Milwaukee Journal and the Wisconsin State Journal. James worked on a number, a well-known photo studios and established his own studio, which he ran for forty years. He also taught at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, in Webster College. He has photos that are in a permanent collection at the Milwaukee Museum of Art. So let's give him a hand. James. Thank you.
4: I got my hearing aids when I brought my work here. Okay. So if anyone's asking any questions, you can maybe you could tell me what they're saying so I can hear them. Okay. okay. We'll do. Very good.
0: So if, if when there's questions, I will repeat the question for them.
4: So hold just hold on. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> Never heard my voice so loud. I just turned seventy-five, August eleventh, a Sunday, so I'm seventy five and so alive. My passion is photography. I've been following my bliss for 75 years, even when I was in a past life, possibly. I don't know where all this came from. But I had my darkroom in the sixth grade. And when I was a freshman in high school, I was a stringer for the Wisconsin State Journal and Milwaukee Journal. I had locked my art teacher in his supply room so he wouldn't write a letter for me to get into art school. <laughs> guess he didn't have a good sense of humor. So anyway, I had the editors get me on the late school. I want to work for the Milwaukee Journal. And then uh, they didn't want to hire me because they didn't have a journalism degree, you know. So uh, in my illustrious career, being an advertising illustrator photographer, I shot an Insight magazine photojournalism story for them on the front page on Jesus People. So that was pretty exciting. It's like being an anthropologist. So all the people are converting me the whole time. I'm living with them for a week. And uh, James Palisari was the minister. And he was in all these acid LSD drop rooms out in West Dallas with the fluorescent footsteps all over the ceilings and floor. And on the way back, he said, it's a good thing religion isn't a democracy, because people aren't capable of the simplest of decisions. And I said, well if you think so <laughs> but anyway it was a great opportunity for me they had their uh, jesus people church and a hardware store on brady street and uh, i came up through the ranks as this hippie photographer i was doing a lot of work for kaleidoscope doing covers and then i was uh having the covers printed on some boards i was giving to art directors so all of my uh, competition was in vietnam at the time and i wasn't <laughs> So I had twin girls, so they didn't want me. <laughs> so anyway, but it was a long struggle. Um, photography's like poetry. The, well, when I taught at Leighton School of Art and at UWM and the Fine Arts Department, I had uh, teachers that had to have three credits of visual communications. And uh, they couldn't draw, so they took photography. And uh, so it was pretty exciting, I had everybody from This guy would come with a shopping bag full of different cameras every week (laughs) with secret buttons to open them up. But I was trying to develop the point of view. It's very important in photography. Like in my bios and things I say, the camera always lies because it's from the photographer's point of view, from what he's trying to express. It's very manipulative. So when I'm shooting out on the streets or whatever I'm doing, I'm always peripherally looking at what's rolling through the frame. I'm looking at how to tie the geometry together to make what I'm trying to express myself stronger. When I worked for this advertising illustrator photographer in Chicago coming, I left art school three months early to be his darkroom person on a five-man studio. And when I was in the darkroom, I couldn't believe that he was putting things together better than I was finding out on the streets. He had a whole list of people that were models he wouldn't tell anyone else about. And we were getting work from Skupneski, who did all the Estee Lauder ads at the time. So he was really happening. He's an ex-art director and designer. He had a jazz trio that played in his studio. And uh, Abernathy Cab Company in Chicago is the biggest black-owned cab company in Chicago. And him and his son hated each other. So his son (laughs) drove one of his cabs. And he had a Leica M3 on the front seat. And he used to play in Charlie's jazz group. So whenever he got a great shot, he'd go, Man, you sure did put the ghost on that one. It's like calling down the Holy Ghost and putting the spirit into your work. And that's way cool, because that's a lot about what's happening. Great is a lot like poetry. It, when you look at it, it's what kind of a feeling it gives you. You either get it or you don't get it. And when I taught my students, they get really angry all the time, and I'd say, great photography's not like horseshoe. It's either great or it isn't. And if you don't learn the difference, you're going to run around and be a mediocre photographer all your life if you're lucky. So I said, you have to set higher standards for what you're doing. So I said, it doesn't count if it's closer to the stake. It only counts when you made it. So we talked about that a lot. So I'm a big believer in, um, I'm a little bit empathic. That doesn't mean I run around reading people's minds all the time or anything. But I love people. I'm a purveyor of private moments. and. I get underneath people's defense perimeters quickly. And if they'll talk to you, they'll let you photograph them. Or I get the shot, I point the camera at everybody then. So it doesn't matter how you get there. Black and white's my passion, because it's a simpler graphic form. And I'm a master darkroom printer and lab person. So I never want to get the vehicle in the way of what I'm trying to express. So uh, my stuff's very powerful. And I print to keep people's eyes where I want them to be looking. So people always look at the lightest part of the print all the time. So when I'm making prints, when I was shooting before digital, I had a rangefinder camera and a belt clamp, and I wore it like my socks and underwear. So uh, all the way through art school in the 60s. So I got great shots, because I had my camera with me always. As a matter of fact, I probably have 10,000 negatives I've never printed yet, because I couldn't afford to at the time, I didn't have the time, you know. So, I don't know if you can hear me okay. The, um, like photography's been my mantra. When I'm standing on the shoulders of all my mentors and the mentoring system got lost somehow in our country. You, You know, it's just like, when I came to art school, I had a Roloflex and I was already happening. I was good in the dark room. I came there to learn about design and great photography. My friend Gernot Newman. I had a Roloflex hanging on my shoulder, first good camera I owned, and he took it off my shoulder and we're off in this finishing area that had a print washer and dryer with the fluorescent lights and a big four-by-six-foot mirror, and he did a self-portrait of himself with it. I was just blown away, and I saw how good the shot was. So he became my mentor, and his stuff was so incredible. I was like the American Indians. I walked how he walked, and I wanted to see everything, how he did everything. It made me a better photographer. When I taught school, I'm a big historian for other photographers. So like a lot of my friends had gone to see W. Eugene Smith, he did the uh, mercury poisoning in Japan. He was a life photographer. He got beat up so bad he could hardly walk when he got done, from all the thugs and corporate people that worked him over for doing this story on people being poisoned in Japan. Photography is very powerful. It's like the guy in the Viet Cong getting shot by this officer. Everyone remembers that photograph. Photographs are so powerful, they ended the Vietnam War, photography did, because people weren't going to put up with it anymore. When I talked to an editor from *Walkie* Magazine, he said, what do you think's different now than it was in the 60s? I said, in the 60s, people had optimism. Now people don't think they can do anything, so they don't. So I said. Uh, Lesson learned. He said, well, how can you say that? I said, well, we stopped the war, didn't we? I was going to go to Canada. I thought the war was BS from the beginning to the end. But um, you know, what do I know? So when I got out of Leighton School of Art and graduated, they're calling up 250,000 men a month to go to Vietnam. I couldn't believe it. So I was fortunate because I stayed out of the draft for five years because I was working for a college for a government grant for the Department of Education. So Sister Jacqueline, who was the head of Webster College, was on President Johnson's 11-member Board of Education. So they had all kinds of grant money at the college, where I set up a photo department. They gave me $10,000. Flew me in. I shot a workshop with Norman Liberte. He did the Vatican um, graphics. And the world art fair you know, fair. And uh, so after they saw my photos, they said, "Yeah, we're going to hire you." And I said, "Well, don't plan on seeing me in church. I hate Catholics." <laughs> and she says, "I said, "I don't go to church anymore. I, I'm a Buddhist." And she said, "Well, that's okay. This is university Catholicism. We can take you in the fold. You don't have to go to church." So she mixed me up a couple of big cocktails, and I was hired. So uh, that was great for me. So the school had a great lab school up to the sixth grade at the college. I set up a dark room. And uh, I was shooting satellite places like in Pruitt-Igola, where Sphinx was from. So the first thing I did, I got on the second floor of this great school, and I said, let's get these Venetian blinds open. They say, we never open them here. I said, well, I don't care. I want some light in here. I Open them up, and they're all full of bullet holes. So they were sitting on the high rise with rifle shooting in the classroom, so I said, maybe we better close these drapes. <laughs> but uh, photography is such a wonderful, wonderful thing. I mean, it really, it's been my mantra through my whole life. My wife died like five months ago, and I've got a dog and two cats in my photography. And uh, I'm not retired, I'm rewired. So I have my own studio for 40 years. And I adapted a lot of my shooting that I was doing out on the streets into some of the ads I was doing. So we did everything from shooting beer for Miller with 8 by 10 inch U cameras, doing fashion with hazelblads. I had a lot of uh, industrial agricultural accounts where I flew around the country. And uh, always, always I was doing black and white. So when I take my books and all my stuff to show the art directors and the proof sheets, that's all well and good. I had a box of about 100 postcards in black and white they were like tarot cards or baseball cards, and when I get those out before I left, all of a sudden there was something in there that people could relate to. And when business was slow, I would send a hundred postcards a month out, just to jog their memory. And I would pick up one of the two jobs off of that, which is phenomenal with such a low mailing rate. But. Uh, I pushed, pulled, pounded, and worked my photography around in so many different ways. But it made me a better photographer. And I love people. I love photographing people.